1 Corinthians 12, I'll be reading the first 20 verses. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles, carried away unto these dumb idols, even as you were led. Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit withal. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues, but all these worketh that one and the selfsame Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, Because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, Because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body. You may be seated. It's good to be here. I'm here with my wife. She's sitting towards the back. And uh, it's good to have my family here with me. And I want to acknowledge that she does just about as much work as I do when I preach. She, we have twin two-year-olds. And uh, she's easy to spot because they are the most beautiful children here. So it won't be hard to find her. <clears throat> I greet you in Jesus' name this morning. And it's a blessing to come here. There's a lot of people here, more than I'm used to preaching to but it is a blessing to come here and uh, to fellowship with like-minded believers. We believe in Jesus Christ and him crucified. And uh, I know Paul at one time, he said that. He said, I seek to, to seek no other thing and to preach no other thing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the root of our, uh, of our beliefs. That is uh, who we circle around. So it is in that name that I greet you this morning. We live in a solar system. And that scripture that, that, that the brother read refers to the church of Christ as a body. Okay, and more, we often think along the lines of a, of a, of a, of a physical body, and that's what it refers to. But there's, there's another body that we know as of the celestial body. We call it the, the, the planets or a solar system. And I want to draw your minds to that this morning a little bit. And uh, maybe just do a little bit of a study on that. Uh, how many of y'all learned about uh, the celestial body or the planets in school? Raise your hand. So most of us have basics. Now, if I would ask you to get, come up here and, and, and draw this out, you probably wouldn't, wouldn't be able to because we, we 
don't retain it all the time, do we? Kind of miss out. Well, I don't know everything about it, obviously. I don't know if any of us will. But let's just take a little bit of a study. So someone tell me what the center of, of, of our particular system is here that we know of. The sun. The sun is here in the center, and, and we have these things we call planets that circle around, out, around. And the first one I want to look at is Mercury. And uh, this, this planet is unique, okay? That's one thing that we can, we can count on. These planets are not the same. Through it all, we would say that they're orderly. But Mercury is, uh, is a harsh planet. It's 800 degrees by day and negative 290 degrees by night. That would be a rough planet to live on, very likely. And there's not much gravity there. There's not enough mass, so there's not much gravity. And it rotates three times in the time it goes around the sun once. There's only three days in a year. That would be odd as well, correct? These things are different, okay? So we have Mercury up here. Side note. How many of y'all know how to keep your planet straight? You remember that little phrase you learned in school? One, one, one phrase, I'm sure there's others, but I know uh, my very excellent mother just served us nine pizzas. And it goes sun, moon, earth, Venus, whatever. Interesting little side note for me. But that's, that's how you keep your planet straight one way. But there are, only, there are only three days in a year with this planet. And it's hard to find this planet in the night sky. Thinking of, 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 a, of, a, of a system here, it's hard to find this planet. It's kind of secluded, kind of behind the scenes a little bit. Why, why is it there? Why is it, why is it, why do we know of Mercury? Why is it there? We don't know all the reasons, but we know that it was created for God's pleasure. And, and uh, what is the planet that we know of as we live on? Earth. We have Earth. This planet, uh, we, we tend to kind of think of this planet is better than the others because it's the only one that we know of that sustains life. There's life-giving water on this planet. But before we get to thinking superior about this particular planet because we're on it, this is the only planet that I know of that has a curse on it. It was cursed by God. It was cursed because of sin. And, and uh, there are weeds. There, there's, there's work and labor uh, to live on this planet. And it's interesting how people come up with Roundup Ready seeds and genetically modified plants. And now so there's some plans that come around that. Some of you farmers probably know there's some weeds that are starting to pop up and, and Roundup won't kill it anymore. It's, it, but there, it has a curse on it. It's unique. Why is it the way it is? I don't know. But it was created to bring pleasure and glory to God. Uh, Venus is another one. Uh, it's close to the same size as the earth. Uh, dense clouds. It's gloomy. It's lifeless. It's, it's hotter than any other planet. It's 67 million miles away. It has an 867 degree surface temperature. That's pretty smoking hot. Its rotation is 243 Earth days, and, and, and that's almost a three-quarter of a year for us that, that it takes for it to spin on its axis to be called a day. It's a long day. And it's, it's oftentimes the brightest planet in the night sky. It's unique. It's the brightest planet in the sky. But why is it the way it is? Why is it unique? We don't know, but it was created to bring glory to God. It looks beautiful from a distance. Thinking of a, of a, of a system or a body. Saturn is the second largest planet. The diameter is 274,000 miles. And 
It's 10 times the size of the earth, and it takes 29 and a half earth years to orbit the sun, and it takes 10 hours to spin completely on its axis. It has a 10-hour day. So it's spinning super fast. Uh, dense clouds is a big ball of gas, basically, and the top of the clouds are negative 290 degrees. And it has vivid rings around it. it you might have remember that from school or wherever, that it has these rings that are spinning around it, and those rings are actually chunks of ice. And, and those rings are as wide as 180,000 miles wide. And yet, in the thinnest places, only 660 feet thick. It's unique. We don't know why. But why is it there? It's created to bring glory and pleasure to God. Saturn. We have Jupiter. And this one here, if we were to... If this is a sun, Jupiter would be something probably about like that. Astronomically large. It's the largest in our, in our solar system. It's, it's 89,000 miles in diameter. That doesn't sound right. Don't, don't quote that. That doesn't quite sound right. But it is the largest in our solar system, but it's yet a tenth of the, it's, it's a tenth of the sun. A thousand Earths would fit into Jupiter, Okay. And there, it's a gaseous planet. There's, there's clouds shrouding this planet. It takes nine hours to spin on its axis. It takes 12 Earth years to orbit the sun. Again, we have this unique planet, and we, we observe it, and you can watch it, and you can learn from it as in, as in what it does. It's orderly. But yet, why is it so different from the other planets? We don't know. But God created it to bring pleasure and glory to him. Is that enough of an answer to these questions? Why is it there? Is that enough of an answer in your mind? And then you have Mars. You know, Mars has been getting a lot of publicity recently because of, because of uh, they're trying to find life, and they're determined to find water on it. One of these times they're going to send a rover up there with water on it and dump it out and, and to, to say there's water on it. They're so determined to find water on it. But Mars, it's a rocky, it's a rocky planet. It's, it's a rust-colored, very solid surface. Deepest canyons and highest mountains of any planet. So some of these canyons are 2,000 miles long, 15 miles wide. Uh, very rugged. Very, very rugged. Average temperature of negative 80. It's cold, dry, and windy. And dust storms that last for week at, weeks at a time. How would you like to live there? I don't know why I'd spend millions and billions of dollars to take a rover up there. I'd say leave it alone. But why is it there? We don't know for sure. But it's there to bring pleasure and glory to God. If you were to create order and perfection, is this a model, this solar system that you, that you picture in your mind, is that a model that you would say is the de definition of order and perfection? Would you make different size planets, harsh temperatures, cold temperatures? Is this what you would, you would make? And when you think of a perfectly operating system, is this what you would draw or make or create would you have the ability to create or would you maybe think of oftentimes i would think of a perfectly balanced wheel with all the same length spokes and perfectly machined where it's almost perpetual motion and and it's so perfect and it's just right is that what this is hardly Jeremiah 32, 17 says, O Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. Jeremiah, he pictured God holding out his arm and setting things into place. That's how Jeremiah would have pictured it. I want to read in Psalms 8, two verses there. 
in Psalms 8, 3 and 4, When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? And he would refer, psalmist would refer to using his fingers. Massive, massive size here. I, I don't even know how to explain it, and you know probably more than I do, how large this system is, and it's only one out of thousands beyond it. But it, it pictures God using his finger to, to set these things into place. And I can't comprehend that. But that's how the psalmist would explain that. He uses his fingers for this, and yet we read how he cares for the lily of the field. He, he even clothes that. He even recognizes the beauty of the lily of the field, a little flower in the field. He sets places for these planets to work, and he even cares about a flower or a sparrow. doesn't even fall to the ground. Okay, that's astronomical in my mind. I can't quite comprehend that. He, he, he orders the tides of the seas. Uh, we get a clear picture that God orders these things, and he is in control of these things, and they are like that. They are like that because of, for some reason or another. And we don't always know, okay? We don't always, remember, we would ask why, but we don't always know. One of those planets spins opposite from all the other planets. Why? Did he, did he, when he, when he spun it, did he spin it the other way, or did he use the other hand? I don't know. It's odd, isn't it? Sometimes we think that. David describes, the psalmist describes the way of the order of the earth like a compass that God uses. It's, it's a perfectly scribed line. Would you consider that a perfectly scribed line? Some of these places, he, 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 some of these planets, they circle the sun in an elliptical. It's not a perfect circle. It's more elliptical. Uh, we get a picture of order, and yet everyone has its path and place to take. Okay? With that in mind, the title is, of the message here is Order in Diversity. Order in Diversity. And we all would all agree that God seemingly went to great pains and imaginations to, to, to formulate this, this, this creation as we know it, to create it. And there's a parallel to the church I want to align here. Does God care about the bride of Christ, the church, in the way that he cares about this solar system, this celestial body? Does God care about the church? He used his fingers to spin these, and he... he, he it was, it was like it was nothing. Does God care about the church in this way? And I want to read in 1 Corinthians there again. 1 Corinthians twelve eighteen. I should probably have us all read it together. That way we all turn to it. But I want you to listen to these words in 1 Corinthians twelve eighteen. But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it has pleased him. Is that reason enough for you? As it has pleased him. Who puts the members in the body of Christ? This is talking about church members. God sets the members. And I looked this up in the Greek, and it basically means exactly what it says. God placed them there. I like to say that I know a little Hebrew and a little Greek. One of them has a donut shop, and the other one works at a tire shop. That's about it. So, but it basically just means what it means. It, God placed them there. If we serve a God that sets planets in the sky and has a use for them to bring him glory, then how should that affect us? When we read a verse that God sets the members of the body of Christ, the, the church, and this church idea was not a word used in the Old Testament that I'm aware of. It was a radical idea to the disciples of Christ. It was radical. Uh, 
But yet this church that we talk of, it was discovered or founded, we say oftentimes in Acts 2 in Pentecost, and our Sunday school lesson was on that. It's the most precious thing to Jesus. This is his kingdom. And yes, it was new. It was radical in that time. It was some of the disciples, I could just hear old Peter, he say, what do you mean church? What is, what is this? What is this? This church thing you keep talking about. But this thing of Christ and the church, could we be the planets? Could we picture ourselves as the planets? If we just have this, if we have this, this picture here of, of, a, of, a, of a system that's, that's, that's orderly. You take earth, for instance. We know to the thousandths of a second how long it takes. There's a, a day is not 24 hours. It's like 23 hours and 56 minutes and four some seconds. And it's so orderly. We can know exactly it's orderly, but yet it's not the same. There are different places to fill. Now, if you picture yourself in this whole scheme of things, what is this right here? Analogies are limited. I get that, but I'm doing the best I can. What is this? Jesus Christ. We, we, he is the center he is the hub of all programs in the church. He, he, is, he must be the center. He must be. He must be. We, we are in different places. We are in different orders. We, we have different roles. And, and some of us might spin the other way from other people. We all know people like that, don't we? They're just a little bit different, just a little weird. You wouldn't say it, would you? But you think it. Just, just a little. That one is a little bit frosty. That one's a little cold. I don't like that one there. He's secluded. Uh, we, we get that picture of, of the church sometimes when we talk about things like that. That one is way out there. Uh, yeah, all analogies are limited, but, but bear with me here. Use your imagination. But we revolve around Jesus Christ. That is what we must always come back to because if, if we say that we don't need that center-drawing power, where we spin around. We're going to start looking side to side. I'm going to try to get away from this one so I can, I can speed up. And, and I'm going to try to pass that one. We forget about that center hub. We're going to start crashing into each other. We're going to start bumping into each other. Do we do that in church? I can only assume that, that you do because we're all of the same family and family tendencies run the same, right? We're all of the same family. The body of Christ. So... What do we do when, when we have that, that, that attitude of comparing? We start comparing with other planets. Uh, oh, we can go anywhere. She's so icy and cold. She is so immature. Why does she always control every situation? Why is he so overbearing? Why is he not bearing enough? <laughs> and, and we resent that. And, and, and before long, we start comparing. We start forgetting completely about that center hub. And we start resenting everyone that talks to that person. We start resenting everything about it. And before long, the focus is completely off of Jesus Christ. It controls your life. It starts controlling your life. The main thing is not the main thing anymore. Bring honor and glory to God. That's what these things do. They bring honor and glory to God. The heavens declare the glory of God. You know, if we quit comparing and trying to fit everybody into this mold of ours, we want everyone to, to, to be molded to a certain way. Uh, 
why not just stop and, and look to Jesus and, and look full on his wonderful face? And what does the song say? It says that things of earth will grow strangely dim. If we look at the light, the sun, Jesus Christ, the shadows are going to go behind us. If we look side to side, we're going to see shadows. We're going to see dark spots. Let's focus on the center. Let's focus on our, our, uh, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and move in that direction and, and, and spin according to his direction. And, and when we do that, when we, when we look to Christ, we're going to start seeing how, how sinful we are. The light reveals sin in our lives, and it reveals we're living in sin-cursed bodies and, and what, what sin does to us. And, and when we look to the perfect law of liberty, we start looking at people through a different lens, a different set of eyeglasses. And we start seeing them redemptively. And we start looking at relationships redemptively. But the important thing is that we see ourselves in the light of someone that is perfect. And that is Jesus. That is Jesus. Jesus said that he will build his church. No, Jesus didn't say that he will build his church with the zealot Jews. In fact, he, would, he said he would build his church in the middle of a of a sinful people, in the middle of the filth and garbage of this world, there was going to be a force that's going to rise. Uh, nasty, lowly fishermen, a, an IRS agent, a prostitute, the, these, these nasty, it's, his kingdom is going to rise out of this garbage of the world. When he stood up there on that rock, we should probably go read that. And he told Peter, I will build my church. This force would shake the very gates of hell. And Jesus said, Jesus said that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Does Jesus do what Jesus says he will do? No, no. Is Jesus doing what Jesus said he would do? Is he using you? Are you a part of that kingdom? We sometimes look at this. Harvest will come four months out mentality. Well, we're just going to stand around and wait until Jesus builds his church. What are we waiting on? We have all the raw material here. Is Jesus building his church and are you a part of it? Are you really a part of that? You know, this, this whole scheme of things is so much bigger than me and you. It's so much bigger than treating church like a buffet. You just go through the line and you pick out what you want. And leave the rest. And you, you just pick and choose. This, this seems like a good thing, so I'm going to do this. It's a buffet. Can we start seeing this thing of church, this, this, this wonderful concept of a church, as, as a wonderful opportunity to even be a part of this kingdom? Have you ever considered that? It's actually an opportunity. It's a rare opportunity. This kingdom was not designed for us as Gentiles. It was designed for Jews. Romans 11, I want to turn there. The Syrophoenician, think, think about the Syrophoenician woman. She, she, she was a Gentile, and when she asked for her son to be healed, she, uh, she said, she, she, she asked for her son to be healed, and Jesus said that, that uh, this, this is for the, oh, I should have, I should have studied on that. Uh, he referred to her as a dog. He called her a dog. Jesus called this woman a dog. And this woman didn't get mad. She didn't get upset. She didn't get frustrated. She just said, even a dog finds a crumb under the table. Is that the attitude that we should have as Gentiles? This wasn't designed for you. 
God isn't your spare tire. This is not about what you can get out of it. Romans 11. And Jesus called that woman a woman of faith. A woman of faith. But through some of the Jews rejecting Jesus' plan uh, for the church, it opened up a way for us. That woman was a woman of faith. Romans eleven seventeen through 25. And if some of the branches be broken off, and thou, being a wild olive tree, wert graft in among them, and with them partakest of the root and the fatness of the olive tree, boast not against the branches. But if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. Thou wilt say then, the branches were broken off, that I might be graft in. Well, because of unbelief, they were broken off, and thou standest by faith. Be not high-minded, but fear. For if God spare not the natural branches, take heed lest he also spare not thee. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God. On them which fell severity, but toward thee goodness. If thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou also shalt be cut off. And they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. For if thou wert cut off, cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and wert grafted contrary to nature into a good olive tree how much more shall these which be the natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree for I would not brethren that ye should be ignorant of this mystery lest ye should be wise in your own conceits that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be brought be come in I want to point out something that interests me in this verse 25 I would not that ye should be ignorant of this mystery do we understand this mystery of the church. Do you understand? Paul's saying, understand this. This is something that we need to get. We need to get a hold of this concept, this mystery. And sometimes it's like, well, Paul calls it a mystery. So we just can't figure it out. And we're just going to have to move on. He wants us to understand. Oh, we have this tremendous privilege and we look inward so often. Um, some push the lines as far as they can, and, and others police the ones that, that oh, it's just this, this vicious, and we, 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 just, we just lose complete sight of, we, we get inverted. You understand what I'm saying? We get so inverted. We start looking inward and, and, and side to side. We have this tremendous privilege. Can we not adopt a higher calling? Are we not called to a higher calling, a, a bigger plan? A higher kingdom than just a club. This church is not a club. It's not a club of friends. It's, it, it's part of a huge kingdom. This scarlet thread that comes through the ages. Are you a part of it for real? Are you really a part of it? Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, it ushered in a way for us to be a part of this kingdom. And if it really sinks in, if it really sinks in, we're going to live differently, and we're going to talk differently, and we're going to look at people differently. Through those different lenses, we're going to. We're going to see things a bit deeper when we see a brother or sister struggling with criteria or brotherhood agreements. We're going to see a little deeper than that. Verse 20 says, Be not high-minded, but fear. None of us deserve this free gift, okay? Is it possible that we need a renewed vision for the church? Two points before I lose all of y'all. We need worship. Number one, we need worship. And we need real, fervent, spirit and truth worship. The church in Acts, it met to worship their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That was the primary reason. And I believe that the first church is a good model for us in that area. 
The Holy Spirit comes on believers then and today. It guides us into all truth. And I want to turn again to John 4. It was read earlier or referenced to this morning. I want to read John 4, 21 through 26. Uh, speaking to another dog here. Jesus is speaking to another dog, a Gentile. Do you see yourself as a dog? Maybe we should. We call that low self-esteem, and the counselors would counsel you right back out of it. But what, what, do we, what, do, what are we? What is our perspective? John 4, 21 through 26. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship, you know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, praise the Lord, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. And Jesus referenced several times where the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And sometimes we look at that like it's just out of reach. But no, there again, if you look at the Greek, it's here. It's, it, it's within reach. It's at hand. It's not something that's just out of reach. The kingdom of heaven is here, and we can have a part of that as dogs. Okay? Hmm. That does something for me. When, when I see the hour cometh and now is, the door is open. And worship comes before service. Oh, so often we get this thing mixed around. We start, we, we, we get so busy serving the God that we love that we forget to love the God that we serve. That's what happens. We get so busy serving the God that we love that we forget to love the God that we serve. We will serve whatever we worship. Do you know that? What are you worshiping and what are you serving? Those go, it's cause and effect. You will serve whatever you worship. And we all know that, I hope. What is the first and greatest commandment? Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength, and thy neighbor as thyself is the second one. It rings of worship. And then when the young lawyer asks, how do I put that into practice? Notice how Jesus hit it from a, a, a worship-based criteria. Love the Lord thy God. And then the lawyer asks, how do I put that in practice? And Jesus just simply gave him the parable of the what we call the the good Samaritan. But Samaritan wasn't even that good. He was just doing the very basics of the law. The most basic of the law. Did that? I don't know why we call it the good Samaritan. But we will serve what we worship. Being in tune with God. Intercessory prayer. How much time do you spend on your knees? Commuting with God. Singing. Corporate worship. All things that tie into this worship of the one true God. This Jesus Christ that we, that we circle around and we must have his spirit in our lives. It will hold high priority in our lives if we are part of the church of Christ. This thing of worship. Simply, yeah, churches that focus less on worship and, and, and trade it all with activities and missions, and, and it, it's good. It's good. That, that must follow. But we dare not get the cart in front of the horse. It will bring a twisted view toward the goodness and severity of God. Remember the church in Revelations. I believe it's the church of Ephesus. Thou hast tried and hast had patience and hast borne and hast... They were doing things right. But I have somewhat against thee. You have left your first love. 
They did things right. They, they stood against the deeds of the Nicolaitans, and, 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 but yet Jesus had one thing against them. Worship comes before service. It is a biblical principle found in many places in the Bible, and we dare not get that twisted up. And unless there be someone here that thinks that worship is defined by the thrashing of music instruments and the raising of hands and the swing of hips, that's not what I'm getting at. Worship is when we recognize ourselves before a holy God and we simply with confident humility come before him and respond correctly. A recognition of the holiness of God. Number two, we need to get out of our walled cities and engage the enemy. We do a lot as Anabaptists. We, we want to live quiet and peaceful in the land. And, and sometimes we kind of get under that umbrella and we feel pretty comfortable. We need to get out of our walled cities and engage the enemy. And Jesus taught us well by example. Sitting on the well in Samaria. Uh, Samaria? The Jews always went way around. They would go way out of the way, across the River Jordan, go way out and cross back over the River Jordan so they wouldn't have to go through Samaria. That's a significant verse. He must needs go through Samaria. That was a shame for a Jew to go through Samaria. That's where the pigs live. Can we catch that vision? Can we use that as an example in our lives? Jesus went through. And, and, and like the planets of our solar system, we have different roles to play. We have different paths. And, and even in the church, some focus in their homes. And, and some would focus in, in local ministry. And some focus in world ministry. And, and that's the beauty of this. That's order. That is order. We're not all the same. We have different places to play, or not, not to play. The play sounds kind of carnal, but we have different places and different roles to serve Christ. And, and some will even be called away from the home community to engage the enemy. And it, our weapons are not carnal. They are, they are more spiritual, and, and uh, I'll leave that. And, and one note of encouragement that we, in our independent age, are getting away from big time. Let the church tell you what to do. It's okay. Let the church tell you where to go. I think you would do great going to Costa Rica. Consider that strongly. Let the church tell you where to go. I, I don't, I'm not much of a basketball player, but every now and then I go to uh, our youth. They play in the wintertime anyway during school or youth boys and whoever else uh, go play basketball. And I'm not a good basketball player. Sometimes I go just to make a fool of myself. But Dustin uh, Beachy, a young man in our church, he's, he's good. He can play basketball very well. Uh, and, and I ask him, what do I do? What do I do? And he knows that when I get the ball in a heated game situation, I'm going to panic. He knows me well enough. I'm going to panic, and I'm going to shoot just as soon as I can. I forget to pass. I'm, all of a sudden, it's just Jason against the world. And he knows that I'm going to shoot, and I'm probably going to miss. So what does he tell me? He tells me, get under the basket and get rebounds. And when you get the ball, pass it. He knows, don't shoot. And I think sometimes in this picture of church, sometimes that we think that we need to be the best. We need to shoot three-pointers. Let the church tell you what to do. Our brothers, our team, teammates, whatever you want to call it, our brothers and sisters in the church can oftentimes tell our gifts better than what we can. He knows that this tall, gangly guy from Kansas can get rebounds better than some of these short Kentuckians. So that's what I do. I try to try to it's a, it's a, it's a weak analogy but you get my picture correct let the church tell you what to do 
And I do want to go to Matthew 16, 13 through 19, thinking along this, this, this kingdom of heaven and the church. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say they are John the Baptist, some Elias, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, They are Christ, the Christ, the Son of the living God. This is a preposterous thing to say in that day. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give unto thee the keys of kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. There's many different ways you can explain this passage, and many different ways people explain it. But you've got to recognize the context of it. Some of you are probably Hebrew scholars. But Caesarea Philippi is kind of built in a rock, inside of a rock. They were very likely standing on top of this rock. Out of the filth of this world, Caesarea Philippi is one of the nastiest, grossest, most immoral cities of that time. And they were standing there looking at this filth. Upon this rock I will build my church. Are we going to get out of our walled cities? Out of these church walls. We like the protection of these walls. Now are we going to engage the enemy? Out in the middle of this filth and immorality. Get out there and pull them out of the fire. Are we going to engage the enemy? That is vision. We're going to think a lot less of bumping into each other. And a lot more of walking alongside each other and pulling together. The kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, the Bible says. We take light to the darkness. That's what the church is for. God sets the members. Every biblical church is imperfect from a human perspective, but perfect in God's eyes. So stick with your local brotherhood and pour yourself into it. There's, there's, this, there's, there's this force that we can be a part of that's rising out of the ashes of materialism. It's rising out of the ashes of of sin and it, it's 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 out of the ruins of inverted church problems and 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 we bring that we bring on ourselves a lot rising out of a, a bankruptcy of less than godly traditions yes it's going to rise above that it's a force that's going to go forward we need to choose if we're going to go along with it Jesus said he will build his church. And this force is led by a leader that died. He was born on this earth and he died and was resurrected. He gave us that power to be a part of this force. A force that does not depend on numbers, but rather on the purity and loyalty of its members. God has never depended on numbers. He, God was never impressed with numbers. God is more interested in faithfulness and obedience and, and unfeigned love of the brethren. That is what God is more interested in. And it's interesting in our walk with God, how, how God takes us through a, a time, say, of a difficult relationship with someone, and we conquer that, and, 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 and then there's something else, isn't it? Oftentimes there's always a battle. But you know, that battle keeps us focused. And we need to continue to be focused. God is a hard God to 
satisfy, but an easy God to please. He's easy to please, but hard to satisfy. Look, sum me this up. If God uses his fingers to put this astronomical solar system in place, I'm going to read in Isaiah 52.10. The clock is my enemy, but I don't care. I'm going to read Isaiah 52.10. I love this. God uses fingers to do this astronomical thing that blows the minds of countless generations. And look at what the plan of salvation, what God did to bring us the plan of salvation. Thinking of, of lowly dog Gentiles, it wasn't even designed for us, this plan of salvation, this force that we can be a part of. The Lord hath made bare his holy arm in the eyes of all nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. He rolled up his shirt sleeves to bring us salvation. He made bare his holy arm. Isn't that, shouldn't that spurn us? God actually rolled up his shirt sleeves to bring us salvation. And so often we just, we're just, that should do something to us. I think it should. I think it should do something to us. To make us sons and daughters. He went through something bigger. <clears throat> and we get caught up in this thing of thinking that we know what our spiritual needs are. And we get hung up on, I do. And I have to realize that we're family, so you probably struggle with it too. But we get hung up with some of the most minor things sometimes. And it become a big deal to us. And God cares about those minor things. Those this, this, this seem like just minute little things. God cares about those things, but he wants us to go further. He wants us to respond rightly and to go past it. And we get to thinking that we know what our spiritual needs are, and that's arrogance and, and narcissism. But I'd like to read a parable to try to bring some practicality to this. You know, we say that frustration and conflict and diversity in the churches, we, we say they're the raw materials for spiritual growth. And, and yet, how do we, what does that look like? What, what does it really look like? And, and this parable is a bit humorous in my opinion, but, and, and you'll have to pay attention. You'll have to pay attention to catch the meaning. You have to wake up and sit, and get, sit up straight in your seats. It's a bit humorous, but I want you to get the meaning. The women of the city where I live sought how they might secure a sum of money for a children's hospital, and they devised a white elephant sale. And the meaning of the words was this. When any woman had in her house something which she wished to get rid of, she called it a white elephant, and she gave it to the sale. Now as I walked in the city, I drew nigh to the place, and I went therein. And there were books and bonnets and baskets and clothes and candlesticks and pots and pictures and divers kinds of tools and many things of other sorts. And the damsel said to me, Wilt thou not buy of me something? And in her booth were earthen vessels and vessels of brass. And she said, Behold, this lovely vase. Thou couldst not buy it at Marshall Fields for $14, but here it is only a dollar. And I took from my purse a dollar, and she wrapped the vase in the part of an old newspaper that hath colored pictures, and I bore it home. And my wife, Keturah, met me at the door, and she spake to me and said, Whence comest thou, my lord, and what dost thou bring? And I said, I come from the white elephant sale, and I have brought to thee a lovely present. And I set the vase upon the table and removed the covering, and Keturah looked upon the vase, and her countenance fell. And then she laughed. And I answered and said unto her, Wherefore dost thou laugh? And she said, Safiad, my lord, dost thou remember the Hopkins family that lived nigh unto us when we were first married? 
And I said, yea, I remember them to my sorrow. And she said, Dost thou remember the many evil things they did unto us first? And I spake unto her of the time they borrowed the lawnmower, and how they didn't do a thing to it save to ruin it, and of the time their spoiled child threw his ball through the window, and what his fond mother said to me when I rebuked him, and of their chickens and clotheslines. And she said, All these things they did, and many more. But the first of all the evil things they did to us is the present they wished to us on our wedding. Dost thou remember what it was? And my heart fell within me, and I answered, I think it was a vase, but very unlike this one. And she laughed again till she wept, and she said, Safed, my lord, thou art a wise man, but no man is wise enough to visit a white elephant sale, save his wife be with him. Twenty years hath that horrid vase been in our attic, and I never had a chance to get rid of it, until yesterday, when I sent it to the white elephant sale. And now, behold, thou hast brought it back again. And again she laughed. But some women would have scolded. Now after that I returned from the white elephant sale. There were certain days I feared lest Keturah would speak to me concerning it, and I hoped that she would not. But there was not much I could say, and while I loved to hear her laugh, still her laughter concerning the white elephant vase had been immoderate, and I had heard enough of it. But she spake no more of it, for she is a wise woman, and when she hath laughed, she doth not rub it in. So I looked about the house where she had put it, and I found it not, neither in the pantry, nor the parlor, nor in the attic, or in the ash can, and I said, She hath given it to the Salvation Army. But she cared too much for the Salvation Army to have done such a thing. Now there was a day when the apple blossoms were out, and the trees were glorious with them, and Keturah made a great bouquet of them, and placed them on the dinner table. And it was a mountain of fragrant beauty, and it came down on every side that it touched the table. And I praised her, for she had done excellently, and she liked it that I praised her. And on the third day she said, Behold, the petals have fallen, and the bouquet is no longer beautiful. Wilt thou not carry it out and throw it away? So I did, even as she had asked me. And when I had thrown the stems away, I looked at the vase in my hand, and it was even the white elephant. And I was minded to take it and throw it in the lake, but she restrained me. And she said unto me, Even though the vessel be unlovely, yet doth it hold water, and yea, hold flowers. And I can drape the flowers so that they cover the vase, and only the beauty shall appear. And I said, O Keturah, thou art a wonder. But why not cast it away and buy a vase that is beautiful? And she said, My Lord, I have decided to keep it, that it may be to us a parable. For every one hath his white elephant. For life bringeth to all men and women much that fain would be rid of, yet which the providence of God permitteth them not to cast wholly out of their lives. And when they find that it is so, lo, there is a way, if they seek it, whereby they may make the best of it. Even so, I have resolved to do with my white elephants. And I meditated long, and I spake, saying, Keturah. And she smiled and said, Say on, my lord. And I asked her, Am I one of thy white elephants? <laughs> and, and she smiled yet more and said, Whether thou art or not, no markdown sale shall get thee. You know, it's a humorous story, but did you catch the, did you, did you, did you notice how these, this unlovely circumstance in these people's lives and maybe we should be like Jesus and not explain our parables. But did you notice how the flowers, when, when, when they looked at it, when they covered it with beauty, how, how the, it held beautiful flowers. And, and it wasn't what was inside so much. It wasn't the actual vase. But it, it, it held water. And, and, it, and it, it held beautiful flowers. And sometimes these circumstances in our life are like that. Did you see how that horrid vase taught them a lesson in accepting diversity? and circumstances, and, and, and less than ideal 
what we would say less than ideal people in our lives, less than ideal relationships. And they use that for the better. Don't run from it, but rather minister to it.